wonderful reminder in worship this morning of the child that was born and by the grace of God and the Savior that he was and became and is and uh, then the power of his name. If you would turn to Luke chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through verses 15 this morning, and though we're going to concentrate on the first 13 of those verses. Um, I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas, and uh, it was a blessed one with family. I know that for many of us it was a little different, but I hope that it was a good one and that you were able to worship and to celebrate together. This morning, uh, in Sunday school, you probably looked at the ministry of John the ba- and the message of John the Baptist. Um, as he prepared the way for Jesus Christ and his ministry. And certainly, uh, John's ministry dovetails so completely and perfectly with the ministry of Jesus, um, but his ministry begins to fade with the baptism of Jesus Christ. As John puts it in his own words, I must become less that he may become more. And so John baptizes Jesus, and then his ministry begins to fade as Jesus' ministry gets started. And yet we see in three of the uh, Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that immediately following the baptism of Jesus Christ is the temptation and the testing of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Um, And this is the last of kind of the preparation for ministry that we see for Jesus Christ. Up until this point, we've had the birth as he's entered onto the scene. We know very little about his childhood. Um, And then we get to the baptism and we get to this temptation. And after this, Jesus' ministry uh, starts in full. And and it proceeds uh, in earnest, so to speak. Um, As we look at this temptation, though, my prayer this morning is that we understand a little bit about what Jesus went through and why he went through it, but also we understand that it is for us, that this temptation and this testing was largely for us and what we can learn from it. Um, and what we can be encouraged about through it. And so this morning, now that, that's my prayer that we would see those things. So hopefully by now you've found Luke chapter 4. If you would stand with me that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. Luke records in his gospel, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And 
on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, we are thankful once again this morning. We're thankful to be gathered together here as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, to know you as our Savior, to know you as our High Priest, the one who mediates between us and the Father, as one who has known what it is like to be tempted, and yet you are the one that has overcome. And we are thankful. And we worship you this morning. Father, I pray that you would open your word to our hearts. That we may be encouraged by it. That we may be challenged by it. That we may trust it. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we look at Jesus and his... uh, experience in the wilderness, one of the things that is important for us to note is that he was led, that Jesus himself was led into the wilderness, that it's by the Spirit that that happens. You look there in verse 1 of chapter 4, and it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And so it wasn't Jesus having received the Holy Spirit at the baptism. Now, he goes into the wilderness at being led there, not maybe on his own volition, though certainly he is doing so in obedience as also being deity. He is doing so as he is led. Matthew gives a similar statement. He says led as well in his depiction. Mark, when he describes what happens, he uses the word forced. um, Kind of a different connotation in the English language. But regardless of which one of the accounts you read, we understand that Jesus is taken there. I think it's an important reminder for us that there are times when God leads us through difficult circumstances that God Himself tests our faith to see, mostly for ourselves, the depths of that faith. That we would come to understand our great need for Him. That we would come to understand the power of things like prayer and to understand the, the lessons that He would have us to learn so that we may be shaped more into His image and less the image of the world. And yet, I think it's important for us to make a distinction here. If you look at James chapter 1, starting in verse 12, James makes an important distinction. He says there, James writes in in that first chapter, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and him, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So James brings forth this um, important distinction that while trials come our way and God allows us and even leads us at times into places of difficulty like the wilderness or leads us into trials, He is not the one that tempts us in the trial. What tempts us inside the trial is our own human flesh that desires to sin, that desires to control things. What tempts us beyond that is the enemy. As Peter puts it, that desires to devour all of those. Let me give you two examples really quick to kind of give you a picture of what we're talking about here. The first we see in Job. When you go back to Job chapter 1, you see a curious uh, event or, or an account. And it's in chapter 1, you have God seated on his throne and before him comes Satan. And God does something interesting. He points to Job and God says, Have you considered Job? Have you considered this righteous man who worships me, who serves me, and is devoted to me? Satan, in turn, tells God, Well, yeah. Job has never experienced anything difficult. You've put a hedge of protection around Job. You've protected him from all evil. He is blessed. He's got all these kids. He's wealthy. Why would he not worship you? Everything has gone well in his life. And God says, try it. Test him. And so Job enters into a difficult season for reasons that we don't even fully understand. Job certainly doesn't get it over the course of the book, but even we as we contemplate Job, even we don't fully understand it except that God was proving to Satan that Satan's plan of destroying the relationship between God and man would not prosper but that there would be those who would be devoted to God and who would love Him. And yet Job goes through this terrible trial and test of his faith. And yet it is not God who, who, who tempts him. God allows for the trial to happen, but in the trial, in his time of difficulty, who is it that tempts him? It's those around him. His wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. And Job says, I cannot do that. His friends come and list a whole bunch of different things. And Job resists what they're talking about. And certainly, while Job questions God in what he is doing, we find at the end of the book that while God chastises him and says, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, he says that Job has acted rightly. And so Job goes through this trial where his faith is tested. He is tempted by the outside. He's tempted by others. He's not tempted by God. And he comes through that. And his faith is deeper. Another example from Scripture is in Luke chapter 22. In Luke, we see Peter. And Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And he tells him that Satan has asked for Peter and the other disciples, so that they may be sifted like wheat, so they may, their faith may be shaken, 
Satan is desiring to go after the disciples. Sure, they'll serve you while you're here. Sure, they'll serve you while you're doing miracles. Sure, they'll serve you while everything is well. But will they serve you when you're not there? Will they serve you when they see you crucified? And Satan desires to attack their faith. And we see that that's what happens. They're put in a difficult circumstance. We find Peter a few chapters later sitting in a courtyard. Jesus has been arrested and is on trial. There is great turmoil and angst and chaos. And someone says to Peter, you were with him. And in that moment of trial, in that moment of fear, Peter gives in to the temptation. That temptation came from within. It was not a temptation that God places there, though God certainly allowed for the trial. And so we need to be careful, James says, that when we see trials, when we see circumstances, that we understand that God is using that for our good, but that there is also temptation that lies at every step. And we should be aware of that so that we may resist it so that we may run from it Jesus is certainly led into the wilderness and he is led there so that he may prepare for ministry he's led there that he may be with the father but it is a difficult place it is and through the fasting it is going to be a physically difficult place and there temptation lies waiting for him and so we see that he's led there we see that it's a place of preparation We see that it's a place of preparation. That Jesus goes there and He is able to be alone. He is able to to focus on the Father. He is able to, to be ministered to. We see that at the end of Matthew's passage on this topic or on this account. It is a place for Him to prepare Himself for what's going to happen throughout His ministry moving forward. And this is not an unusual thing. If you go back to the Old Testament, you would see Moses on two different occasions is called to fast for this length of time. You'll see other prophets that are called into the wilderness that they may separate themselves and prepare themselves for ministry. You'll see it even in the life of Paul. Paul himself tells us that after his conversion and after the scales were removed, he is called into the wilderness for preparation for ministry. It's not unusual for God's people to be led through a a time of isolation and preparation so that they may do ministry. And so we should not find it strange when it happens to us. Though it may not be what we desire. No one wants to go into that. No one wants to go be called into maybe that isolation or called into the hardship of the wilderness. And yet it should not shock us that the Lord uses those things to prepare His children. Lastly, I think it's important for us to see here that the wilderness is for our benefit. It's for our benefit. The fact that this is recorded here and that we get to see that Jesus Christ went through this, specifically that He went through the temptation, is there for us. Because if Jesus comes and He lives a perfect life, but He is never tempted, there's something missing. How, if He is never tempted, how can Jesus Christ be the human 
uh, substitute for us. If He has never gone through what we have gone through, if He's never suffered in the way that we have suffered, if He's never been tempted in the way that we have been tempted, then how can He be the one that is our Savior? So we need to see this. All of the universe needed to see that He was tempted, that He was tried, and that He was found perfect and without sin. We're going to get to this next point in depth a little bit more later, but it's also so that we may see that He relates to us through through this temptation. Though He overcame it perfectly, that we don't have a priest who doesn't understand what we're going through. Not to get overly political here, but at times there is a disconnect between those that represent us and ourselves. And oftentimes we bemoan that fact that those that are in places of government, those that are in places of leadership, often it feels like that they are not connected to our needs in the way we would like them to be. And we bemoan that fact. But when we look at Jesus Christ, that cannot be said. When we look at Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, He perfectly understands all that we have gone through and are going through. Alright, I'm going to blow the rest of the sermon if I continue on that path. So Jesus is led into the wilderness. He placed, It's a place of preparation for Him and it is largely for our benefit. So how is He tempted? How is He tempted? Well, one, and really all of these can be connected to pride, but he is tempted in part by appealing to things that we all understand. Satan appeals to him. He appeals to desire. The first temptation, it says that uh, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Satan approaches him in a time of weakness when he hasn't ate for some time. And he says, hey, if you're the son of God, then... You can meet your desire. Your desire right now is probably for food. After 40 days, that's probably pretty close to the forefront of your mind. He says, you can meet this desire. Now, again, all of these are an appeal to pride. He also said that if you're the son of God, did you catch that point? Like he's trying to needle. Like if you're really who you say you are, then you can do this. Prove it to me. But he's appealing largely to his His desires. And certainly we all understand that temptation. All of us struggle with desire. We have desires for safety. We have desires for comfort. We have a desire for security. We have a desire for needs. We have desires for wants. And it's easy for those desires to get in the way of what God has called us to do and called us to be. God had called Jesus into the wilderness for preparation and had led him to fast. And that time of fasting had not yet ended. And so Jesus says that he won't do it. He does not allow his own desires to get in the way of what God had called him to. As I was thinking about this this week, one of the things that I was thinking about, and, and we talked about it a little bit Wednesday night with our, uh, with our Wednesday night crowd, but I was thinking about my own desires for my daughter. And certainly many of you can, can probably think this way too, that when I pray for, for Rosemary, I pray for her safety, I pray for 
uh, her well-being. I pray for her education. I pray for her salvation. I pray for her future spouse, though mostly I pray for her to have, be celibate her entire life. But we, we have desires for her. And yet, it is tempting for my desires for her to trump what God's desires are for her. And for me to get in the way of what God is doing in her life. For me to place importance on certain things or on, on certain parts of life that God says are secondary, but I want them to be first. And so I begin to place my own desires on her life rather than desiring what God wants for her. I think of her safety like it's maybe this is this isn't for everyone but maybe God calls her as a single lady to go to a country that's dangerous like he did with Lottie Moon or that he did with others throughout history and as a father there's temptation in my desire for her safety to stand up and say I don't think that this is what God's calling to you to do not that any parents ever done that and we place our own desires before the desire that God has for our kids. That's temptation. And it is sin if we act upon it. Not that I don't want my daughter to be safe, but I would rather her be in the will of God. Not that I don't want my daughter to have a wonderful life, but I want her more importantly to be in the will of God. But it is tempting for my desires to trump God's desires in that place and in so many others. Whether it be in my spare time or whether it be how we spend our money or whether it be in the comfort of our own home, there are so many times that my desires get in the way of what God has called us to do. At the same time, let me say this, as we draw closer to Him, He changes our desires so that our desires begin to line up with His and then we see wonderful, miraculous things begin to happen. So Satan appears to the desire of Christ here. And it's not, a, it's not a temptation that is foreign to us. He also appeals to his vanity. He appeals to his vanity. He says there, the devil said to him, or sorry, in verse 4 it says, uh, or sorry, verse 5, eventually I'll get it right. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to, I give it to whom I will. He says, hey, you want power? You want prestige? You want to be the man? You want to be in charge? You want to be worshipped? You want to be loved? You want to be adored? I will give it all to you. If you will worship me. Again, this is, this is not unusual to us. We want control. We want power. We want people to like us. We want people to adore us. We, we're people pleasers, many of us by nature. We, we want to be thought well of many times. Jesus in particular, after all, who is He? He he is the King of all heavens. And Scripture talks multiple places that all the nations will bow before Him and that all of the nations will be put under His feet. This is a shortcut to the end. We all love a good shortcut. We all love a, a good way to make life easier, to get where we're going sooner than what we had planned on. And yet, shortcuts are often fraught with danger. And often we miss out on things. 
Satan's trying to provide. And by the way, notice there that this is a half-truth at best. Satan says that he can give all this to him, and certainly it is somewhat true that Satan had been given dominion over earth for a time, but it was not his to give, ultimately. Ultimately, all of that is still under the sovereignty of God, so at best this is a half-truth. And if Jesus is worshiping Satan, then he's not the man. He's not the one in charge. There's someone else. And so Jesus responds, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, this desire though, this temptation that he's faced with, it's not foreign to us. The last one is not foreign to us either. It's an appeal to control. I don't know about you. But I like to control things. That's why this year has been so hard. I like to be able to look at a calendar and plan out my days and to be able to plan out what's going to happen in the future and to be able to expect things and know what's going to happen and not have to worry about surprises. And this year has been nothing but that. This year has been nothing but scheduling something and then canceling it or moving it or changing it or having to adapt it. And it it has taken away from many of us a sense of control. Not only over our schedules, but over our families and our relationships, over our jobs. And it's unsettling to us, this control that we seek. Here, Satan comes to Jesus and he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, which would have overlooked a valley. It would have been about a 300 foot drop. And he says... If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan says, if you you want to prove that you're God, you want to prove that you're the Messiah, you want... You want people to follow you, you want to control what happens, you want to be the man... And all you got to do is jump off a 300 foot building and God will save you and you will prove to everyone here who you are and you will have the control that you seek. You will have the notoriety that you seek. You will have the followers that you seek. By the way, the verses that he, that Satan himself quotes there, they are misrepresentations of what's actually said. Not surprisingly. They are truncated, out-of-context verses that were meant to be applied to a life in general, not to a specific moment. Jesus recognizes what Satan is trying to do. He recognizes the trap that's being laid, and he responds again, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's one thing for us to trust Him and to say that He is in control and to hand it over. It's another thing for us to be foolish and to do things that we knowingly understand that He has not called us to do and to completely ignore common sense. Jesus understands that in this moment, what He is asking, what He's being asked to do is not to trust God, but rather to try to prove Himself in control. 
If I jump, then God's forced to do this. If I do this, then God's going to be forced to do this. If I am good enough, then God will be forced to save me. If I am this, then, I, then God will be forced to do that. Friend, it is a dangerous game that you play when you assume that your actions can somehow corner God into doing anything. He is not a good luck charm. He is not Santa Claus. He is the God of all the universe. He is powerful. He is mighty. And for us to think that we can test Him and control Him is foolish. Rather, we see His might and we trust Him. There's a difference there. So again, these temptations that God is, or that Jesus experiences in the wilderness are not uncommon to us. And that's part of the point. That we would see these things and go, I've experienced something like that. Now, we may not have had Satan standing directly in front of us. We may not have had these specific temptations in terms of someone asking us to turn bread or a stone into bread or, or taking us and, and show to the top of a mountain and saying, jump. But we've all had temptations like this. There's a connection here between us and Christ. And yet we see Him do what we could not do. That He resists every one of them. So how do we do that? Because ultimately that's our desire. Is for us to be able to turn away from sin and to follow Him. To, to be more like Him. If you are a Christian, that should be a part of who you are. Is a desire to not sin anymore. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at some of the things that Christ did. After all, He is our best example. First, we see is that He is full of the Holy Spirit. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He does not go into temptation unprepared. But rather, He relies on the One that controls everything. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not have the discernment to see when circumstances are not of the Lord. I mean, after all, that first one, the very first one, when he says, turn the stone into bread, that is a, that is a common sense request for a man that has not ate. For a man that has no food. Eat. It is a simple temptation. And yet a temptation nonetheless. How do we discern when a request is Righteous, and when a request is a temptation, we must be full of the Holy Spirit. We must have discernment that only comes from Him. And so we pray, Lord, fill us daily. Certainly we get that when we are believers. We believe that the Holy Spirit abides in us in that moment, but we pray daily, Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Second, we see the, Him use the Word. Jesus' quotations here are out of Deuteronomy. But certainly we're called to know all of the Word. To consume it. To understand it. To memorize it. To be able to use it. To follow it. To obey it. Ephesians describes the Word as our sword. Both a defensive and an offensive weapon. And so the question is this morning, for you as a believer, do you forget it at home? Or do you use it? Is it part of your arsenal? Is it part of your daily preparation? 
for what's going to happen next. Do you know the word? Are you in the word? Lastly, we rely, when we resist on temptation, we rely on the Savior. Turn with me to Hebrews very quickly. We're going to conclude here. But flip over to Hebrews chapter 4, or sorry, chapter 2 first. Then we'll look at chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 2. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is helping us to see Christ as the fulfillment of the law and the, the bringer of a better covenant. But he also helps us to see him as the great high priest. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He was fleshly. He was tempted. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. What do we do when we're tempted? What do we find our, where do we go when we find ourselves in the middle of the trial? Where do we go when we find ourselves in the middle of difficult decisions? Where do we go when we find ourselves tempted by the same sin over and over and over and over again? We run to the Savior who understands. We run to the One who gets it. Who can sympathize with us. Who can embrace us and say, I've been there. You can overcome. Not only that, but look at with me to Hebrews chapter 4, just a little bit over, to verse 15. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We have a great high priest who understands the weaknesses of the flesh because he has been there. Who understands the temptation that we face that is common to us all because he has been there. He has experienced it. And yet, in Him, we find great hope of overcoming sin and temptation because He has shown that it can be overcome, that it can be defeated, that it can be dealt with. And so we find great hope there. We find great excitement there. We find great encouragement there. But I also love the end of that passage because each one of us fails. We all fail. Temptation of desire comes and we fail. Temptation of our own vanity and our own ego comes and we fail. Temptation of control comes and we fail. But Hebrews tells us, let us draw then with confidence near the throne of grace. 
that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Maybe, maybe this week you know and understand I've failed. I've come up short. We all do it. We all have those moments and those times in our life when we just deal with the guilt and the burden of our own mistakes. This morning you have a Savior. You have a high priest who has been there, who has been tempted, and He defeated it on your behalf so that you may now come before the throne of God and receive not judgment, but grace. Grace and mercy. Because when we put our faith and trust in Him, now we are declared innocent and not guilty. This should be great comfort to us. Because I don't know about you, but I fail all the time. And many times, Satan would love to use that failure to tempt me into thinking that I'm not his. Or tempt me into thinking that I am not worthy of his grace. Or to tempt me into thinking that I'm not worthy of his mercy. Or to tempt me into thinking that he won't forgive me this time. Because this time is the one time that went too far. But I'm reminded that I have a great high priest. And a great Savior. Whose grace and mercy have no end. And He invites me to come closer. Not to go away. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And this morning I would just encourage you during this time of response. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But Satan is tempting you. That you would understand that you have a Savior and a Christ, Jesus Christ, who desires to give you the strength to overcome. Maybe you're here this morning and you have had a rough week and you would just say, I need forgiveness. And you're struggling with doubts of feeling unworthy and you're struggling with doubts of, of guilt. And this morning you hear, I pray that you hear a word of grace and mercy from the one who has overcome on your behalf. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He invites you to come and to know Him. Right now, we, we believe as Christians our sin condemns us. And yet we have a Savior who invites us to know freedom. Let's pray. Father, we come before You Father, what a, what a glorious thing it is to know that we have a Savior who understands. That we have a Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That we have a Savior who has been tempted, who has suffered all things that are common to us. And yet, we can be thankful and we praise You that we have a Savior who has overcome all who has defeated those things on our behalf and who now stands with open arms with a great invitation, trust me. Trust me. Father, help us to do that this morning. 
Help us to seek your grace and your mercy this morning. Help us to rejoice for those of us that have already received it and continue to receive it on a daily basis. Father, we pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can